The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia for this Friday, June 16th in Hong Kong, Thursday, June 15th in New York. And coming up today, U.S. equities rally, tech shares gain on exuberance surrounding artificial intelligence. The ECB hikes interest rates again, and President Christine Lagarde says a July increase is also very likely. And the Bank of Japan is expected to leave its ultra-loose monetary policy unchanged today. Kissinger says war between China and Taiwan probable without change in course. Blink and readies for China trip, NATO pledges more aid for Ukraine, UN head calls fossil fuel companies planet wreckers. I'm Ed Baxter with Global News. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, the business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast. Available on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning. I'm Doug Krisner. And I'm Brian Curtis. Here are the stories we're following today. The Bank of Japan is widely expected to leave its ultra-loose monetary policy unchanged today. Let's get the story from Bloomberg's Bonnie Ao. Most economists in a Bloomberg survey predicted the BOJ's negative rate policy and yield curve control program will be kept the same. Some say one of the main reasons for the hold is the chance for an early election. Governor Kazuo Ueda has said that he expects inflation to fall below 2% towards the second half of this fiscal year ending in March. But more than half of private sector economists disagree with that view. Over a third of economists say a policy shift could happen next month due to higher inflation. In Hong Kong, I'm Bonnie Ao, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. Let's talk about the European Central Bank. As expected, we got a rate hike of 25 basis points. So the policy rate now is at 3.5%. That's the highest level in more than two decades. It is in line with what economists and traders were expecting. Now, we had ECB President Christine Lagarde saying, the outlook for both economic growth and inflation remain highly uncertain. And she said the ECB still has ground to cover in its inflation fight. It is very likely the case that we will continue to increase rates in July, which probably doesn't come as a big surprise to you, but that's what I'm telling you. And this is so because we are determined to reach our target in a timely manner. That is ECB President Christine Lagarde. Now, we are told that officials at the ECB are expecting a tough debate next month on whether another rate hike will be necessary in September. Lagarde seemed to avoid giving any guidance today on what may happen beyond July. Brian? Well, the ECB's move came a day after the Fed paused its rate hiking cycle, although the Fed did signal that they would likely resume tightening at some point uh, in, uh, in the rest of this year. We heard today from former Fed Vice Chair Richard Clarida. Clarida saying that he sees the Fed's hiking campaign ending soon after it observes key economic data. The Fed has inflation coming down more slowly than a lot of folks. Uh, and the Fed uh, also has a smaller rise in unemployment 
uh, than a lot of people expect. And so I do think that if the data is closer to market expectations versus Fed expectations, that they could be done uh, in July. So I really think for the first time in a while, they really are data dependent. And there isn't all that much data to be dependent on or to sink your teeth into. The Fed only has one more labor report and one consumer price index reading to analyze before that next policy decision. By the way, that comes up on July 25th and 26th. We were talking earlier about this exuberance surrounding artificial intelligence. After the bell, Adobe raised its full year outlooks for both revenue and profit. It seems the company is optimistic that generative AI features will be raising demand for its software. We have more from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. Adobe says sales will be about $19.3 billion in the fiscal year ending in November, compared with an earlier forecast of about $19.2 billion. Adobe is the longtime top seller of software for creative professionals. It is adding generative AI features throughout its products. Last week, the company unveiled enterprise-level subscriptions for the new tools, which include legal assurance against copyright claims. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg, Daybreak Asia. Well, the European Commission is taking a more aggressive stance on Chinese tech companies, including Huawei. Bloomberg's Joanne Wong has that story from Hong Kong. The EU has asked its member nations to stop using Huawei and ZTE's advanced mobile network equipment. The commission has explicitly labeled the companies for the first time as high-risk vendors. The latest call comes as EU nations face increasing pressure from the U.S. to take a harder stance on China. So far, Germany and Spain have been relying on Chinese equipment makers. Sources say the EU finds the level of reliance unacceptable. Still, the EU has limited authority to force members to implement bans in the of national security. In Hong Kong, I'm Joanne Wong, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. Along with Doug Krisner, Paul Allen will join us shortly. So Doug, feels a little like a breakout here uh, in equities, uh, which will be a pain for the bears. But there was this one from JP Morgan saying that given all the gains that we've seen in equity, this will be an issue for sovereign wealth and pension funds, and they will have to rebalance uh, to try to get their bond portfolio up to match what's happening in, in equity. So I think I think JP Morgan's estimating you could see a 5% pullback pretty quickly because of that. Then if you look at what's happening in the bond market, an interesting day as yields come in. I think the Fed may be, well, trying to communicate something that the market really doesn't believe right now. The Fed speak begins in earnest tomorrow. We're going to hear from Governor Chris Waller. He has been very hawkish. Uh, the projection that we learned about yesterday is that another 50 basis points in tightening is being forecast. But I thought it very interesting today that the CIO of Luthold, this is Doug Ramsey, he was saying his biggest concern by far is the lag impact of the last 15 months mm-hmm. of tightening. Yeah, yeah, that's something that we just can't know, can we, exactly what the impact will be. I know you focused uh, uh, quite uh, nicely on uh, how there could be more in the regional banking sector that hits. And Pal talked about that a little bit uh, yesterday. And then, you know, not to change the subject completely, but we have another whole set of issues in China. And mm-hmm. we, uh, we do have this state council meeting today that we're expecting to, uh, to produce some new stimulus measures. Our story says this could include property, and we also 
quoted uh, from officials yesterday talking about some some stimulus for autos, home appliances, catering industries. Those would be the continuation of, of the targeting. But then, as you mentioned on our call, the Wall Street Journal is talking about more infrastructure spending. We've certainly seen a lot of that in China over the years. And if you look at the data that we had yesterday, the activity data for May, growth in industrial output slowing to a rate of 3.5% annually, retail sales missed estimates at 12.7%. So there obviously are signs of weakness. And that was one of the reasons that the PBOC did what it did yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. Cutting that MLF by 10 basis points. All right, it's time now for Global News. I should mention we have Mark Jimbroni coming up, head of U.S. equities at Barrow Hanley Global Investors. That'll be after we get to news with Ed Baxter in San Francisco. So, Ed, the former U.S. Secretary of State, Henry Kissinger, who is very influential in terms of U.S.-China relations, is is worried about Taiwan-China. Tell us more. Yeah, absolutely. He says uh, military conflict between China and Taiwan potentially Likely, Brian, Kissinger says there needs to be a new direction and dialogue. In an exclusive interview with Bloomberg News Editor-in-Chief John Micklethwaite, he says the trajectory of the talks needs to change. There have been signs on both sides of trying to end them. They have not yet actually engaged in the sort of dialogues that, that I suggested So he says, if not, if they don't change, he feels military conflict is probable. Remember, Kissinger was a key architect, as O'Brien referenced, in the Nixon administration of what is called the opening of China and ping-pong diplomacy. He also told John that if Ukraine prevails against a Russian invasion, Vladimir Putin will struggle to hold on to power. For the full conversation, get the latest Bloomberg Talks podcast wherever you download, or you can watch it on Friday night, 7 p.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg Television. Meanwhile, the Globe is on the cusp of U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken's trip to Beijing. They're trying to kind of reestablish, you know, a line of communication, and I think there's an incentive on both sides to do that. Uh, Bloomberg's Dan Flatley says Taiwan's certainly on the table. Anytime that you talk to anyone from the Chinese government, you're going to be talking about Taiwan because Uh that is a core issue for them, as they call it. And it is a very important issue for the U.S. as well for a variety of reasons. And so if Blinken does meet with Chinese President Xi Jinping, I'm sure that will be a topic that they may touch upon, although I don't think it will be a primary topic of discussion. He says try to keep forward momentum to talk about economic issues and climate change, among other things. Meanwhile, NATO and the U.S. are meeting today about providing more aid and arms to Ukraine. U.S. provided a $325 million aid package this week. This is General Mark Milley. This package procures critical capabilities, including Patriot munitions, Hawk air defense systems, artillery, rocket munitions, maintenance, sustainment support, and much more. And NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg says Ukraine's counteroffensive is going better. The Ukrainians have launched uh, their counteroffensive. Uh, uh, they are making, gown, uh, making gains. And, uh, of course, this is uh, due to the bravery, the skills of the Ukrainian forces. But the support from NATO allies is also, of course, uh, critical. And he says uh, could be more aid coming as the meetings continue. Uh, U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres today calling on the oil and gas industry to leave their products in the ground. He says uh, the companies that operate now are planet wreckers. 
PGA, as we uh, go live to the uh, LA uh, Live US Open at the Los Angeles Country Club in California. Uh, now they are in the clubhouse, the, the two leaders now, and they're up by five strokes, are Ricky Fowler and Xander Shuffley. Uh, they're, uh, they shot a round of 62. So they're in the clubhouse at eight under and they're up on the leaderboard. Global News powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter and this is Bloomberg. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I'm Brian Curtis here in Hong Kong, along with Paul Allen in Sydney. And our guest is Mark Giambroni, who's head of U.S. equities at Barrow Hanley Global Investors. Mark, uh, great to have you on the program. Feels like a breakout in stocks here, especially with this broadening out. You had eight out of 11 sectors, uh, all 11 higher, but eight out of 11 up more than 1%. So it was a real broadening out of the rally. Uh, the Fed might not like it. The bears certainly won't like it. But, you know, for the rest of us, it's kind of like uh, party on Garth. Uh, do you feel comfortable with this? Well, I will say that you're right. First of all, thank you for having me on. Um, it is good to see the market breath so strong. And that gives us some confidence that, um, you know, the market can continue to have gains. We saw that again a week ago or so Friday when we got the employment report. And that was also very positive. We saw good breath in the market. And what, what that's trying to telegraph is, Right, a soft landing in the economy. So clearly we have the Fed raising rates, but the economy is still strong. We have liquidity coming out of the system, but the consumer is still strong and, and employment is still strong. And if we can have those two things continue, um, we could see the market continue to have strength and broadening out. I think that's really important because the market's been too narrow for most of this year. In order for us to really have a sustained rally, we need to have more broadening out. And the active stock, I mean, the average stock, do better than the biggest stocks. Yeah, to the theme of that broadening out, uh, if you look at that S&P rally and you strip out those big tech names, you strip out the AI rally, suddenly it's not looking quite so convincing. How convinced are you that we're going to see that broadening out? I, I think that at the moment, I'm a little bit more concerned about the rally continuing for the rest of the year than not. And there's kind of two reasons for that. One is the Fed. It is the pulling of the liquidity there and rising rates and the natural, um, you know, roll through um, or lag of those effects. I think we're seeing that. And I think the market's trying to grip, you know, with that or deal with it. And frankly, the market hasn't believed that the Fed is going to be as, as strong as it has throughout the whole year. The second thing that worries me, though, more than the Fed. And so I think the market understands what the Fed is doing economy is strong, I think we can climb that wall of worry. But the second piece to me is what happened in March in the U.S. is real from a liquidity and the banking system perspective. And so while we're through kind of the um, fear or crisis of confidence for a few of the institutions now that are no longer around, 
what we what may be coming next is additional regulation. Certainly for the small and mid-sized banks, we're seeing a focus on liquidity. And in doing so, we're seeing a tightening of underwriting standards. And when you get within a community, small and medium-sized businesses have about 70% of their lending needs within the community in which they serve. Hmm. And so as those banks pull back to focus on liquidity, that's going to have a ripple effect that I don't think the market is quite prepared for yet, nor do we really know how to project beyond what the Fed is doing. But it's going to be additive in terms of the impact on the economy. And that's what has me the most worried as we work through the rest of this year. And well, there's also, there's also technical aspects like rebalancing. I mentioned J.P. Morgan is concerned about sovereign wealth and pension funds uh, needing to probably reduce equity exposure and add uh, to their fixed income exposure. However, I might add that there, there are an awful lot of people that got all excited about you know getting um, short-term U.S. Treasuries with a 4.5% yield, and they're, they're kind of sweating bullets here, and all their friends are talking about you know, 20 30% gains in, in tech and such. Uh, so there might be some rebalancing from that as well. Does that neutralize uh, a little? I think so. I, I think those are technical and more short-term issues. That's not what the market is going to be focused on over a long period of time or earnings or cash flows are going. I do think for a while, the market finally has some competition, right? Meaning interest rates are attractive enough to get a risk-free return that is okay, right? But Having said that, um, the market is still the best place to be over a longer period of time, and there's been a lot of cash on the sidelines, and frankly, there's quite a bit of short interest still. So I think I wouldn't worry so much about the rebalancing. I think there are counters to that. It's more to focus on what's happening in my mind with cash flow and earnings, and that's what is going to lead the market one way or the other. Yeah, Brian mentioned yields there. The yield curve, of course, remaining heavily inverted, and that is, of course, a recession indicator. But you mentioned earlier, you've got a sense we are heading for a soft landing. Is the runway now in view? Um, is the runway narrow in that view? I'm sorry? No, is it no, now in view? Could you see now it? Now in view. <laughs> it's a good line. Um, I, think, I think a soft landing is a Goldilocks scenario. I think, frankly, it's starting to be priced in. And so the likelihood of a Fed mistake is high. It, it's not their fault, right? It's a difficult environment, and they, they often make policy mistakes one way or the other. And we're in this circumstance with significant inflation, partially because there were other mistakes made. And so as we look for a soft landing, while I think that'd be the best-case scenario and what the market is currently focused on and why we're rallying, I think the probability is lower than the of a mistake or a slowdown later in the year, or frankly, just a continuation of inflation being too high yeah, and the Fed having to come back into the market. We haven't talked too much about how you'd play this uh, in terms of strategy. Uh, I I mentioned a lot over the past uh, week or so that regional banks have rallied quite sharply over the past month. At one point, up 18 percent, just because of the the past week, a little bit of a little bit of downward push. We're only up 10 percent over the past month. But would you do that? Would you go into some of the beaten down sectors or would you try to run with some of the high flyers uh, like tech? I think that, you know, one of the focuses is to be active. And being active means, you know, to be more selective. The largest names at the moment are at the highest percentage of the market that they've been in a long time. And from a historical perspective, extremely high. Seems to me those valuations have gotten ahead of themselves. So you don't have to go to the beaten up areas of the market necessarily like financials, but there are other places to find value. 
So again, if we talked about the consumer being very strong, consumer discretionary is an excellent and very diverse place to find unique opportunities in the market. If the economy is going to continue to be relatively strong, or even if we're going to see spending specifically for AI, data centers, um, networks, cloud, then you can find that within the industrial space. It doesn't have to be just tech, and just the high flyers. I think that's where the most risk is. But I think, as you've suggested, the market on average has lagged. And because the market on average has lagged, that gives opportunities to other sectors. And not necessarily just the beaten down ones, although financials are clearly in that category. Yeah. I would say we'd rather focus on things that have we have more control over and less concern about what a slowdown in the economy could really mean, again, to earnings and cash flow for those businesses. Yeah. All right, Mark. Yeah, I was just having a look at um, at RSP, which is the equal weight U.S. Uh, equity ETF, and uh, it's up about five percent over the past month. Uh, and that's that's basically just the uh, the whole S and P five hundred uh, on an equal weight basis. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. Mark Diambroni, head of U.S. equities at Barrow Hanley Global Investors. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street. Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa. Play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.